Hello and welcome to Dream Life Best Fit Role with me, Nikki Smith. I'm a psychologist and a career and business coach. I believe everybody can love their work and I help people to use their natural strengths to transform their work life and love their job. These podcast episodes shine a light on individuals who have created their dream life best fit role or business. I focus on how they've played to their natural strengths, those activities that energize and inspire them, and how they've conducted mini experiments to take the fear out of change and generate momentum. Hi everyone, I'm delighted to be speaking to Sarah Marshall today. Sarah is a fantastic multi-passionate. She's a dancer and ran a successful dance school with over 250 students for nine years before navigating her own career transition herself. She now works at Emotion 21 and has experienced several roles there. So Emotion 21 is Australia's only community-based, not-for-profit provider of evidence-based dance, fitness and performance programs for youth with Down syndrome. How fantastic does that sound? She lives in Ocean Grove and works remotely three days a week. And Sarah has worked as a regional manager and now as the NDIS project manager. I met Sarah at a kid's party recently and I was really inspired by her story because I really felt like she navigated her career transition with a lot of ease and, you know, using her intuition. And I wanted to share her story with you. So welcome, Sarah. Thanks, Nikki. Thanks for having me. You're very welcome. Love to go back in time. And can you tell me a bit about the dance school days? Sure. So I kind of fell into the dance school in terms of I was living in the area at home with my parents and I was at uni doing an arts degree and I needed a part-time job and dance was something that I knew. I had trained full-time taking time out from school and then when it became apparent that I wasn't going to be a professional dancer I went back to school to do my BCE and so yeah then I looked for part-time work and I found Brighton Dance Academy and I started teaching there and the owner at the time after I'd been teaching for about 18 months she was looking to sell and I as I generally do just sort of went oh yeah well that sounds like a good idea and had a chat to my mum and dad who were very supportive and um, helped me financially and so I sort of went from there and I took my first class as director when I was 20 and pretty much flew by the seat of my pants for the first (laughs) three years and then looked at it a bit more closely and started really setting up some business systems and um, also obviously teaching uh, well, training programs and things like that for the students and then just went from there really. And what was it like taking that on at 20? Very daunting. I think that being so young, I, I sort of glossed over how difficult it was going to be. But I I, I think that that was a good thing too because I sort of just went into it with this blissful, positive attitude and just kept going really. Yeah, I can imagine there'd be many benefits to that. Mm. So, you know, sort of, you know, have your critical adult mind then finding all the all the downfalls and the potholes and picking things out going oh well I shouldn't do this and this isn't going to work you just sort of go yeah sure that sounds good I'll just do that (laughs) and did you have in mind that you were going to give it a go or did you have in mind that you'd do it for a long time or was it just wait and see 
it was wait and see. It really was. And so I had the school for nine years. At about the six to seven year mark, uh, I sort of really thought, mm, I don't know that this is something that I want to do for the rest of my life. So I started thinking about, okay, well, what else? What else is out there? Having not actually been in the workforce, I just went straight from uni into my own business and I wasn't, you know, I never worked for anyone else. And so I thought, oh, okay, well, I probably should do that. And so I thought, well, I really love the arts. It's something that I know. It's something that I love. So I probably need to upskill a bit more. So I went back to uni and did a Masters of Arts Management and through that, part of that, we had to do internships. So that was a really good taster to see, to see what else was out there beyond my small little fishbowl. And it was at that point that I thought, yeah, look, I probably have to do one of two things. And one of those is I have to make a commitment to stay in the business and really make a goal of it. And I knew that changes needed to be made just to keep it fresh and new for for myself, but also for my clients. So I either had to do that or I had to get out. And life as it often does gives you, reveals the answer as it did for me. And I got married in that time and my husband is a pediatrician and he was always very keen on working regionally. And so a few jobs came up. We lived in Warrnambool for a year and then a permanent role became available in Geelong. So we thought, well, we'd move down this way and that dovetailed nicely into where I was at professionally. And I also had a good friend of mine who had two business partners who were keen to buy my business. And I was keen for that because it meant these three people who were in business together, they didn't have a dance background. So they were going to run it as a business, which meant that they were going to keep all my staff. They were going to keep all the programs that I'd set up. Whereas if I sold the school to another ballet person who had an existing dance school, they would have come in and they possibly would have got rid of some of my staff and changed things up. Whereas having business people come in, they kept everything and they employed my staff and actually employed one of my staff members as the operating manager. So it just, it worked for everyone, I think. Wow. What a result. How that sounds really reassuring that did that help you to step away from it knowing that actually things would be kept the same yeah definitely it definitely did and knowing that they were going to put Jody in as the operations manager and she was always working very closely with me sort of as my 2IC really and knowing that she was going to be taking the reins so to speak I felt really I just felt really happy that it was going to continue and to thrive and also have some new ideas and and fresh ideas as well so no it was good it sounds incredible really that you took on a business at 20 and sold it at approximately 29 years of age but to sell a business means that the business is thriving doesn't it yeah yeah it was it was a and that's what the people who bought it said as well they were really happy to buy a business that was a going concern and that it had survived for over 30 years and was just going from strength to strength. So yeah, I think it was good timing. So looking back on that, how do you feel about that experience? I think I learned, I learned so much from it. I also 
I'd like to think that I gained some sense of some maturity. Um, and part of me thinks that I would, I wouldn't recommend going into business at the age of 20 because I was lacking in life experience, but in other ways, it was a good experience for me that has, I think, held me in good stead for, for some other for roles going forward. Sure. And I guess just interestingly, I'm, I'm not, and maybe it's an Australian thing, not really being into bragging, but wow, what a successful story, you know, as a young business owner to sell a business. That's incredible. Oh, thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. So we've touched a little bit on some of the steps you took to transition from the dance school into your current role. So you talked about going back to school and studying a master's in art management. Were you doing that while you were still running the business? Yeah, yeah, I was. So how did you juggle that? Well, the course was designed for people in the industry, for people working. So all the classes were of an evening, which didn't always work for me because all my classes were of an evening designed for school students. So I did have to employ staff, more staff, to take on my class load. So I did the course part-time. And in that time while I was doing the master's, I had my first child and then sold the business when Abigail was one month old and then we lived in Warrnambool and I was still studying and then we came back and I had this my second child so yeah it was it was just juggling everything really but you get by (laughs) (laughs) that's true so we talk about using mini experiments in this podcast to create clarity and momentum in your work life. Now, mini experiments can start off as a micro one hour or a mini three to 15 hour or a year long project to experiment with an idea. And I love this idea of a master's where you get to immerse yourself in a notion, but it also sounds like there might've been some smaller mini experiments in there when you touched on the internships. Are you happy to expand on that? I'd love to know what you learned through those internships. Look, I guess for me, it was learning how to work for someone else because I'd been my own boss. And that was both liberating and limiting. Liberating in that the buck didn't stop with me and I could share some responsibility and I could leave at the end of the day and not take it all with me. And also, I guess, limiting for the same reasons. <laughs> but I, I guess it also showed me how to work in a more collaborative workplace as well and how to use what strengths I had developed as a small business owner and as a leader in that setting and take it into across into a more collaborative workplace. I love that. And I think that's a unique experience to come from that, from coming from an autonomous business role into a collaborative employee role. That's definitely a fairly unique experience. In terms of getting to know your strengths, have you done that in quite an intuitive way, do you think? Or have you gotten feedback from mentors or performance management reviews or tools? How have you gotten to know your strengths? Probably all of the above. Well, I've actually only just had my first performance review from my from my CEO at Emotion so that was that was a really good process but I guess yeah it's probably more me having to think about and about my strengths and especially when you have to go to job interviews because that's one of the first questions they ask you <laughs> and 
I, I don't know. I, I sort of see my strength also. It's also a weakness. I'm very process driven and I like to see actions and results. So I'll give you an example. I don't mind going to meetings, but there needs to be some actionable items at the end of the meeting. I don't just want to sit around and hold hands and talk about feelings. And then I'm able to go away and plan and get things done. But I think that can also be a weakness because <laughs> I'm very driven like that to, to make sure that there's a plan and it annoys me if there isn't one. Sure. I think on the whole, that's an absolute strength for sure. <laughs> and you're highly employable. You know, people who like a process and like to take action, you can imagine, highly employable. Who doesn't want you working for them? As long as it's a culture that appreciates action, right? As long as it's a culture that wants to move on items. You know, I do have clients coming to me where they've been told to slow down and they don't want to slow down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, it is about that environmental fit or cultural fit for sure, but I would definitely focus on it as a strength. But at times I imagine you'd be a bit impatient if there's not enough movement on something. Yep, and that, that's probably it really, the impatience. And the flip side of impatience is passion. So again, you know, whenever we look at a weakness, and I really want to encourage anyone listening into this, whenever you think of a weakness, I want you to think of a corresponding strength. And if you are impatient, I'm one of those as well. The corresponding strength is passion. So please remember what you're passionate about and know that they come hand in hand, that they're two sides of the one coin. I like that. Yeah, it's very liberating, I think. Yeah. And do you feel like you've got other strengths in terms of, like, I found you really easy to talk to at the kids' party I met you at. So do you find it easy to build relationships or influence people or communicate an idea? Thanks. Thanks for that feedback, Nikki. Um, yeah, I do. I, I, I like chatting to and meeting a whole wide range of people. And I think one thing that I like with work is that I really value the whole what you see is what you get. I, I'm very open and frank like that and I get on with my colleagues and, and my boss. We, get, we have a great working relationship. I'm happy to put my view forward and equally happy to get feedback from colleagues and my boss on anything that we're discussing work related and keep it all very lighthearted and have a, have a good open debate about something, you know, whether it's a project that we're delivering on that we might have contrasting points of view or something that I have been asked to go away and research and to present an argument on what I think our course of action should be. Fantastic. They're all great strengths. And it sounds like you've got a good environmental or culture fit there. So it sounds like you do value some robust conversations, but that's kept in kind of a light, positive environment and you get a chance to present your ideas and, and influence people at times. Yeah, definitely. So when um, we look at our natural strengths, as you've touched on, we tend to jump into our weaknesses as well. With our weaknesses, studies show that we actually want to shape our work week to play to our strengths 60 to 80% of our week. So with that in mind, with our weakness, we actually want to partner, outsource or eliminate the need to do some of these or all of these tasks ideally. Can you think of how you might mitigate one of your weaknesses? I think Working from home helps in that I can cut the fat. I can really focus on the tasks that I need to get done and there's not a whole lot of noise 
around me because I like going into my head office, but I do find that I then start chatting to people and they start chatting to me and we all have a great time, but then not as much work gets done. So I think that working from home really mitigates that. I think that's brilliant. So it sounds like you're someone who needs space to think and get things done. Absolutely. You might have the intellection strength, which needs that quiet time. And it sounds like by working remotely, you get that, which is brilliant. But I'm dying to know, how did you negotiate that? Because it's definitely, I would say, on the top of my clients, all my clients' wish lists. And in my experience, you just ask for it. But I'd love to know what your experience is. Yeah, look, it's funny you ask that, Nikki, because I have been not with my current employer, but with um, another employer where I asked in the job interview if they were open to someone working from home and they categorically weren't, and which I found really interesting given the workplace. But they wanted someone visible five days a week and working from home is going to be only ad hoc, you know, for childcare reasons or so on and so forth. But the way I came to work from, from home for Emotion 21 was they employed me firstly as a as the Geelong regional manager. So they wanted someone to oversee their Geelong site. And so it was advertised as a job working remotely from a home office. So I didn't have to ask for it. And when the organisation restructured and the regional manager roles were phased out and they sort of created this NDIS project manager role for me, they were quite happy for me to, to remain working from home because they knew that that was really the only way that I could work because I wasn't going to travel to Melbourne three days a week. That's fantastic. So did you feel like you'd built enough trust with them and that they actually knew you probably personally as well as professionally and they just knew actually that this is the only way to work and that Sarah will be happy? Yes, absolutely. And I think it is about that trust because they, and I really value that because they they trust me to get the job done. There's no watching to make sure that you're you're at your desk when you say you're going to be and, and, and they just expect you to do the job. It's fantastic to be treated like an adult, isn't it? Oh. Would you like to share a bit about your current role? Yeah, yeah, sure. So I... As I said, I'm the NDIS project officer and I do a lot of my work is around quality management systems for the whole organisation. So we recently went through our accreditation process and I led the team through that and that involved a huge amount of work to comply against two different sets of standards. So that was in May and we prepared for months leading up to that. And then we had some work to do after the audit. And now I'm just working on some, um, as I said, um, some systems, quality management systems and workplace health and safety systems as well. Fantastic. So do you have three top hints that you'd like to share to help people to be courageous and take some first steps to making a change? Because that's a significant change, isn't it, that you navigated? It is. I think for me, I was in the position where I had the luxury of stepping back and it just was a point in our lives where we moved from the city to regional town. I had two gorgeous little girls and 
I had sold my business and so I had to step back and I really think that that's the first thing to do is to step back and look at life as a whole and what you want from life and how work is going to feed into that or match that or just join the mix and then make a decision based on that rather than just dropping everything and saying, oh, I need a job, I need to get any job and, and you know, but obviously that's speaking first world problems, but I did have the luxury of being able to do that and that's something that I don't take lightly. So it really was a matter of stepping back and, and thinking about what I wanted from life and, and from work as well and looking for a job that was going to not only re remunerate me but to give me value in, in other senses as well in terms of how I contribute to other people's lives and to the community and having two daughters I am their main female role model so what I can show them as as a woman I think they're my driving factors I love that and I agree with you it's really important to step back and take a look at the whole picture and it's great that you had the opportunity to do that without what I'm hearing is without too much pressure to find something immediately but if, if you're not quite in that position even if you're spending an hour a week or an hour a month just reflecting and looking at what you want then that's really powerful and sometimes it, like a mini experiment which might be a short course or something like that is enough to give you some reflection time enough to help you to look at what what else is possible so yeah I love those hints thank you I think it's a psychologist in me but I really do like asking my guests has there been a recurring negative belief or self-talk that you've needed to learn to overcome or are still learning to overcome yeah absolutely I think it stems from the fact that I went into my own business at such a young age that I wasn't thrown out into the big wide world of employment so I was quite sheltered in some respects. So there's still this niggling thought that I'm not qualified enough, I haven't had enough experience and I'm actually not really skilled. <laughs> and I think I have to, I, I struggle and, and you said before, maybe it's you know an Australian thing. I struggle to think about what I am good at because I don't, generally think about that I, I'm so process driven that I just get on with the job and I think I, I find that hard and I, I think that that probably comes out in interviews as well yeah so I think it's it's more that I'm, I'm not good enough that niggling self-doubt sure that's quite a, yeah and really all these self-doubts come to yeah I'm not enough in some way what have you done to help yourself walk alongside that because you have made job applications, are succeeding in jobs. So what do you think has helped you to still move ahead despite those thoughts? I think it's good to remember your positive feedback. I've read somewhere that we are so, and you said before, we're so attuned to thinking about our weaknesses and what we're not good at. That's louder than all the positive feedback we get. And I even think that when I'm talking to my children, you know, they say to me, oh, you're always saying no, no, no. And I think, oh, well, we don't always give the positive feedback either. So I think it's important. It works both ways. I think it's good to receive it and then also to give it too so that people are hearing it from you. 
I talk to my husband when I'm feeling, you know, full of self-doubt and he reminds me of what I have done and what I continue to do. And I think about what my colleagues and my boss have said to me or written in emails about my work. So it's important to to go back and think about all of that and not just focus on all the negative because the negative just comes mainly from within, not from outsiders. We've got many, many voices that can pop up and give us self-doubting thoughts. And I once heard a speaker talk about telling her eight self-doubting thoughts to go and sit down at a board table and shut up. And I thought that was brilliant. (laughs) That's good. And it also brings to mind, I just had another thought, which is, do you feel like you bring something to being an employee that's different because you're a business owner? I'll give you an example. So I started off in mental health before moving to corporate and there was a big silver lining for that for me. The doubting thought was, gosh, this is a whole new environment and I'm not sure if I fit in. So I had the self-doubting thoughts. There was also this healthy perspective that I brought from mental health to corporate, which was because I was working with people in serious distress and potentially depressed and suicidal and things like that, there was a risk of self-harm. There was a risk of suicide with some of my clients. And when I came across to corporate, I had this healthy disrespect I felt for deadlines. So I got labeled the Zen corporate girl because I took deadlines seriously to a degree as in I would try and meet them, but I didn't get particularly stressed about them because I felt no one was dying and actually they are more malleable than they look, which was very helpful to me and people did comment on that. And I was just thinking about with you coming from the business world and then into an employee role, did you feel like you brought an edge as well in some way? Yeah, I think so. I think I look at things quite holistically, which again can be a pro and a con because I'll have some left field idea about a new program. And that's not part of my PD to brainstorm things like that, but it's just, it's part of who I am as a person. And so I'll have some idea and I'll email my boss with this idea and she likes that. And she knows that that's how I work because I look at the whole business. I'm not just doing my job. I actually look at and care about the whole organisation, everyone's job. And that's not to say that I'm then putting my finger in all the pies. I'll just put my idea out there if and when it comes to me. So I think there's that. And I also think when you're running your own business, you have to live and breathe the values of that business. And for me, I have to believe in what I'm doing and what the organisation is doing and for me to be able to do my work work productively and for, for me to, to even apply for the job in the first place. And so that's where it was a really good fit for me to work with Emotion 21. Oh, I love that. I really, really love those reflections. Brilliant. So Sarah, to wrap up, I'd love to invite you to set a mini challenge or a mini experiment challenge to everyone listening in. What do you have for us today? I think one thing that I have found that has really helped me transition is to think about who you are and what you stand for and what your values are and how you can seek work in synergy with that and That might be just going for a run and processing that and thinking that through. That's certainly how I do it. Or just 
stopping, taking a step away from the computer and just looking up at the sky and, and thinking, well, what am I here for? What, what do I want from this life? And how is what I'm doing at work a part of that? Fantastic. I love it. So Sarah wants you to reflect and give yourself some time to, to figure that out. And that is brilliant. Thank you. Oh, no worries. Thanks. Sarah, I love that mini challenge. So it's really encouraging you to have some reflection time. Naturally, if you want to dive a bit deeper, come across to my website at nikkismith.net.au to look at the seven step career change program if you're ready to dive a bit deeper into this and use a system that exists. But I really do love that reflection is a part of the process, whether you do it on your own or you partner up with a career coach. So that's yeah, brilliant challenge. So I just want to thank Sarah once again for sharing her story today. I really found it inspiring and it's been really fun to share more about it and with more people today. So thank you, Sarah. Thanks, Nikki. That's great. Fantastic. Have a great week, everyone, and I'll speak to you soon. Thanks for listening. Two things I'd like to mention. Firstly, if you're keen to boost your happiness at work, then head on over to www.nikkismith.net.au, which is N-I-K-K-I-S-M-I-T-H.net.au and sign up for your starter kit. I share tips in there that are easy to implement and are pure gold. Secondly, if you crave a new work role and have no idea what to do, or lots of ideas but don't know where to start, then head on over and check out the 7-Step Career Change online program. This is an awesome system I use to help people create their dream life best fit role, which is a role that matches their strengths, interests and lifestyle needs. It will move you from feeling fed up, unsure and unconfident to clear, inspired and motivated in six weeks. Plus, if you want to hear more stories like this one, please subscribe and spread the word. Till next time.